0: This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker.
1: Hi, my name's Tori Walker. You're listening to The Lydia Project, and today is the second of our special book club edition, Conversations on The Lydia Project. This episode is brought to you by The Wandering Bookseller, great books for curious Christians and agnostics. And The Wandering Bookseller is supporting our podcast by offering 15% off to any listeners who would like to purchase the book that we're discussing today or any of the other four books in our special book club series for this year. So you can head over to wanderingbookseller.com.au, that's wandering with an A, And you'll see a link to the Lydia Project there. That'll take you to a page which has all five books. And if you'd like to buy one or all five, you can follow the links and get a 15% discount, which is great. So we like that. And if you want to take advantage of that, please feel free to do so. Today's book is called Beautifully Distinct. It's edited by Trillia Newbell. And the subtitle is Conversations with Friends on Faith life and culture. And I love this book. It is itself a conversation. There's a whole bunch of women who've contributed to this book by a short chapter each. And what each of these women has done is had a look at their chosen topic and really distilled essence of the Bible's teaching on that particular topic with relevance to living as Christian women today. So the book is divided into three sections. The first one is being thoughtful and the chapters there are really about being thoughtful about things that we're consuming or surrounded by in our culture. So there's a chapter on movies, food, sex in our bodies, work and literature. In part two, which is about listening well, there are chapters that explore this idea of listening to others from different perspectives. So one is inviting others into our homes. Another is loving the stranger, loving the immigrant. There's a chapter on race. And then the book finishes with a section on speaking well. And in that one, it's how we engage with our culture, I guess, in an outward direction, so how we act on social media, um, how we relate to this whole idea of beauty in our culture, and also uh, telling our story, sharing, sharing our story and our faith story. So they're really interesting chapters, and the authors have contributed thoughtful biblical theologies on their topics, really, and given lots of food for thought as to how to engage thoughtfully with our culture, how to critique the ideas that we're hearing from our culture, and also how to obviously engage positively with our culture as Christian women, how we can actually be beautifully distinct as Christian women is really the main topic of the book. I love the book. I found each of the chapters helpful and stimulating, and I loved talking about them with people around me and and having interesting things to talk about with the people around me rather than shallow things. Like I think it, it did deepen my conversations when I was reading this book. I highly recommend this book. I hardly have any quibbles, but one thing I did feel that it would benefit from would be by having discussion questions at the end of each chapter, especially because it's all about sort of engaging with people around us. But as I was thinking that I kind of thought, well, maybe it's a good thing that they don't have discussion questions because it encouraged me to come up with my own questions that I could ask people and probably stimulated me to think a bit harder about how to do that. If that's something you're good at, knock your socks off. If you feel like you want a little bit of help with that or a bit of stimulus for that, I've actually written a discussion question for each of the chapters and we'll pop them in the show notes if you want to make use of them. Feel free. So in today's conversation about the book, um, we're going to be talking with Catherine Parks, who's one of the contributors to the book, and she has contributed a chapter about movies and about how we can thoughtfully consume, watch, enjoy movies as Christian women. She has lots of great things to say about movies in her chapter and in this conversation. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on to the Lydia Project as one of our special uh, author interviewees. Um, I don't know if you know, actually, we've been running this podcast for a while and this year we've decided to read some books together as part of the podcast. And, of course, Beautifully Distinct is one of the books that we've picked and you are one of the contributors to that book. So thank you so much for coming on board to be interviewed so that we can get to know you and get to know a bit more about the book.
2: Oh, it's an honor. And I think that's such a great idea to read together. And
1: thanks for meeting at this crazy time so that we could
2: make it work.
1: Absolutely. What's happening in the background at your house right now?
2: Well, everyone's still asleep, which is why I'm in the garage so that I'm not interrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, True mother love. (laughs) Yes, I know we're about to start school in the next few weeks. So they're getting their last... You know, lazy mornings. And so, of course, it's nice.
1: Yeah. Well, Catherine, I'd love to start by asking you how did you come to faith in Christ?
2: I am a pastor's kid. When I was born, my dad had kind of shifted, transitioned in his career. He had been a sports writer and just really felt that he was being called into ministry. And so, when I was born, he was in seminary and So I grew up in a ministry household. We moved to the Washington, D.C. area when I was seven. And my dad was a journalist on Capitol Hill dealing with issues that relate to Christians, you know, public policy and kind of covering those things for a ministry. And, And then when I was in high school, he started a church. And so like a lot of pastors' kids, you know, I grew up in church and being discipled by my parents and i sort of you know prayed a prayer at the age of five but that understanding grew through the years and i would say my my dad starting this church was a really pivotal time in my faith journey because i suddenly became the only person between the ages of maybe. 10 and 20 right. <laughs> in this very small congregation. Yep. And so church became far less about going to see my friends and hanging out and you know what I was wearing. And it became far more about looking at what does scripture say about the the early church and what is the purpose of the church and being discipled in that context by. Older believers and people that I wouldn't normally have just spent a lot of time with and, and learning that I had to serve as well and being involved in whatever ministry needed help at the moment. And, and the Lord just really used that to grow my love for him and for the church and, and being in a Christian high school. Uh, I experienced a lot of the really beautiful things about Christianity and a lot of the hypocrisy of what what happens when you get a large group of Christians <laughs> together in an organization and and so right before my senior year of high school I had the opportunity to go away for a couple of weeks to a sort of a Christian student leadership training institute and and that was a time that the Lord used to really refine my faith and I think convict me about some of the ways that I had maybe compromised and, and um, tried to live for the world and for man's praise. And, and so coming back right before I finished up high school was just a really sweet time of sort of figuring out who am I and who do I want to be? And what does it mean to walk with Christ um, on a daily basis? And, and so, you know, it, obviously the journey continues from there and that was 20 something years ago. So <laughs> I think for me, so much of my story really does revolve around the local church and the beauty of other believers just living their lives and and bringing me alongside and encouraging me in the process. You
1: mentioned that you learned early on, Noel, when your dad started the church to be involved in whatever ministry you might be needed in at the time. Right Mm -hmm. now, what kind of ministry are you involved in, Catherine?
2: There are uh, several. (laughs) On the local context, you know, my husband and I are very involved in our local church and he's an elder and I help lead worship and women's Bible studies and, and different things. But he's also blessed me with the opportunity to minister through writing and editing. And so I've been able to write a handful of books and and work with some great organizations, Christian ministries, to help tell stories and, and just use the gift of writing. I've written a couple of books for kids, uh, middle grade readers called Strong and Empowered, and those are collections of biographies of different Christian leaders. The idea behind those is to really point to certain qualities like you might have courage or sacrifice or some of these things I never wanted my children to feel like I was putting expectations on them that you know read this missionary biography and then go do what they did or be like them <laughs> um, because I think I grew up thinking that you know I need to be a uh, Amy Carmichael and and um give up everything and and maybe that is what the lord will call my children to but and i think what these people from history would have encouraged them is um it's more important to see that god is the one that gives the strength that gives the courage uh to go do those things and that they were just living faithfully you know step by step and he was giving them the power and the ability to be faithful in those moments and and so that was a real joy for me just to be able to work on that project when I had kids in that age range. And, and I've worked with the Good Book Company on a book called Real, which is sort of a meditation on Psalm 51 and repentance and confession. And then, as you mentioned, beautifully distinct. And so this, I had the opportunity to contribute a chapter to this great book, which was a real joy
1: beautifully distinct. It's obviously I've read it. I loved reading it. I found it so stimulating and interesting and yeah, really, really great read. It did help that I was reading it when I was on holiday. So I was very happy when I was reading it, (laughs) but my kids were around and it was great because I could just kind of look up from what I was reading and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or Mm -hmm. I did find it a really good conversation starter, even with Mm them. So for, I mean, People who are listening, not everybody will have read the book yet. So this will be a bit of a discussion for people who have read it, but also maybe a bit of a summary for those who haven't, or maybe a bit of inspiration for those who might read it in the Mm -hmm. future. So as a summary, I'd say it's a book about engaging with our culture as Christian women
2: um, Mm -hmm.
1: and how we can be beautifully distinct as Christian women is that. Is that a fair summary? Do you say, do you think on the Yeah,
2: absolutely? I think you know it it navigates several different areas of life and culture that we're experiencing in this moment and just gives, you know, short, concise ways to think differently, maybe, or to refine our thinking in a certain area. But I love what you were talking about, even just talking to your own children, because I think the goal of the book was not just to keep this information to ourselves or change our thinking, but then to be able to have those conversations and challenge others and encourage others and their thinking along the way.
1: Totally. So your chapter about movies uh, is encouraging us to keep our minds engaged as we watch movies or perhaps Netflix shows now, or at least turn them on after we're finished watching Mm -hmm. so that we can think critically about them. What are some good questions to ask after watching a movie or a show or something like that, do you think?
2: It's interesting to me having a child in grade eight here in the US and so much of what she has learned in English class through the years is, you know, how to analyze literature. What are the themes? What are, what is the character feeling in this situation? And uh, I think we do a really good job of teaching students to do that with what we're reading but we don't often apply that to the stories that we're watching. And in many ways, you know, it's a visual format, but it's still storytelling like literature. And in some time, some cases can be really wonderful art. And so I think if you think back to the things that you learned in, in class about literature, just start thinking through some of those um, What is the main message that's being portrayed by this movie? One of the big questions that is helpful to me is thinking, what is the motivation? What's motivating the main character? And I think usually then we get into a deeper place of longing or desire and and try to see, you know, what is it that is their number one desire? What is controlling the action and kind of compelling them to make the decisions that they do in this film. And sometimes that could be love, it could be um, sacrificial love, or it could be fear, or it could be, you know, a a longing for acceptance. I think we see that in a lot of films, this desire to be accepted or praised. and, And so just kind of getting down to there's something that's going to motivate all of us in the actions that we take. And it's a good way to relate and maybe have empathy for people that we see in the movie and people in real life, but also to kind of understand the people around us and what is compelling them and their everyday actions and the decisions that they're making. So, you know, that's a big one. And I, I think sometimes it's, what do you think the, the director or the writer is trying to get across? What value are they showing us or, or trying to get us to accept? And so kind of having that discernment because there's always something. And I think we have a tendency to be a little bit naive and think, oh, they're just making a movie. It's just a story, but there's always something underneath that. And my husband is a filmmaker. And so, you know, some of this comes from just talking with him and knowing he always has something that he wants his audience to come away with and any director is like that. And so that's, that's where we talk about like um, being critical in our thinking and really understanding this isn't just something to consume, but something to really engage with. And so what do you think the benefits are for us as, well, firstly for us as Christian women
1: to be thinking critically about what we're consuming?
2: Right. I think it's our responsibility as believers to, Engage the world that we live in. And, you know, Romans, Paul had a lot to say about renewing our minds and taking thoughts captive. And this idea of we're not just kind of blindly walking through, waiting until we die, (laughs) but we have a a responsibility and God has placed us where we are. And, you know, in, in Acts 17, we see Paul walking through Athens, I think it is, and and engaging with the culture there and saying, you know, I've, I've seen that you're a very religious society and he sees that they have a statue to an unknown God. And he then uses that as a gateway into conversation about Christ saying, I know this God and you can know him too. And so it was for him understanding the values of the, the culture in which he was walking and ministering allowed him to have this gateway into conversation. And so there's an evangelistic aspect of that for us to understand this is the culture, you know, movies tell us a lot about the culture that we live in and, and the same with TV shows. And so it's, there's an opportunity there for us to try to dig deep and understand what are the longings of the people around us that are being reflected in these things um, that we're consuming, and uh, and how might I engage my neighbors because of that? Um, but then, even for us personally, I think we have that responsibility of understanding what we're consuming and maybe the subtle ways that it it could be changing us or inspiring us or, you know, causing us to think differently about things. And sometimes that can be a really good thing. And sometimes it's something that we need to be aware of to kind of correct, and make sure that it's, we're bringing it into line with what we see in God's word.
1: Now, this could be a bit of a dangerous exercise, but I (laughs) thought what we could actually do is try and kind of have a go because the book Beautifully Distinct is really practical, something I loved Mm -hmm. about it. So I thought we could put it right into practice right here, right now, Catherine. And I thought we could each name the last movie that we have seen and try and do a little bit of this kind of critique Mm -hmm. So that we can see where it goes. So tell me, Catherine, what is the last movie that you saw?
2: Well, this is a little bit embarrassing. Um, Don't
1: worry, wait till you hear mine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The last movie I saw was with my children and it was Paul Blart Mall Cop. (laughs) It's a story of a man who is a, a security guard in a shopping mall and it's a comedy and it's just completely ridiculous. So there's no art to it in any way. This is not a film. This is a movie and um, (laughs) no one could accuse it of being art, but basically you have a man who has tried to become a police officer and he's failed every time at the police Academy because he passes out when he hasn't had sugar. And this sounds so ridiculous. I can't (laughs) even believe I'm talking (laughs) Uh, but he ends up working in a mall and falling in love with a girl who works at a kiosk and, and there's a, a robbery. And so it's his job to stop the robbery. I think even with something so ridiculous, you know, there's this idea of he has like all of us, he has a longing for something. And for him, it's this status, this importance, you know, if he can just prove himself as being worthy of being a police officer instead of just a a mall security guard. And, And he's very motivated by love. And, you know, when it comes down to it, he makes a lot of stupid decisions, but it's because of this, this motivation to help others and his courage that that's kind of compelling him to do these things. And in the end, spoiler, he decides to just stay on at the mall because he has seen the dignity and the value of that work. And, and so to talk to my kids about this, my kids are 13 and 10. And so, you know, I think one of the entryways into conversation with them through even something so ridiculous as this film is just to talk about that longing, you know, he's looking for importance and significance and, and so are they, and so am I, and we can try to find that in a lot of different places, but you know, none of them are going to satisfy. Inevitably, people aren't going to appreciate and realize our value no matter how hard we work. And we may not get the girl or the guy, you know, no matter how hard we try to impress them. And so just pointing ourselves back to the only person who can truly satisfy us and who our our greatest longings should be directed towards. So it's a little bit of a hard right turn after watching something so ridiculous, but, um, but I think the principle is there, you know, regardless of what you're watching. So how about you? (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) I think it's even more embarrassing. The last film I saw was with my 12 year old
2: and we went and saw fast and
1: furious nine.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Have you seen it? No, I've never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. So Okay. In terms of
1: appropriate for the 12-year-old, they actually get better. Um, okay. Just I've just got to put that But you know, <laughs> obviously, if you if you're listening and you've got a 12-year-old, you've got to make your own decision on this one. Right. But anyway, yes. my 12-year-old loves cars and I don't mind a big budget action flick myself. So i that. Yeah. and It was fun it was super fun um completely unrealistic at many points Mm -hmm. but you just go with it and i'm trying to remember like the main message i mean they had to go and there was a team of them they got the team back together they had to go and get a thing to save the world from imminent disaster and (laughs) lots of car chases ensued (laughs) um including one in outer space the main message I mean, I I honestly, even though I asked this question, I deliberately have not thought of this because I'm trying to keep Mm -hmm. it real. Look, I think the main message is about it's about friendship, actually, like because Mm. the main character and his girlfriend are living on a farm. They're trying to leave that fast kind of criminal underworld life, Mm -hmm. but he goes back into it because the friends need him and want him and Oh, there is a little bit, actually, where she kind of goes, this is who we are. we're not Mm -hmm. those quiet people. We're the, you know, fast-driving, risk-taking, adrenaline junkies. This is who we Mm -hmm. are kind of thing. A lot of it was actually about friendship and sticking together and, I guess, what you would do for your friends, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, yeah how would I get to that, to talking about deeper
2: motivations, I guess? It sounds like you're talking about identity in there too, you know, trying to figure out who we are. So there's, it sounds like there must be an aspect of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, actually. Oh, and then because there was the guys, oh, that's right. There was the whole backstory, you know, how movies are all doing backstories these days on Mm -hmm. the characters. So the main guy, Bim Diesel, it was a backstory on him and his brother and his brother turned bad because of this misunderstanding Mm
2: -hmm. and it sort
1: of ended up bad 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 on this kind of diverging bad path but then there was a little bit of redemption at the end actually because he found out the truth about what had been going on in their childhood and okay so there's a there's a few more main themes there that could um, (laughs) lead to something I guess about motivations about what makes someone make certain choices who they're going to be and what they're going to do
2: and I think you know depending on the level of maybe maturity, you know, who you're talking to, there's, I mean, talking about friendship with a 12 year old is definitely never going to be a bad idea. Um, and just understanding what makes a good friend, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think when we're talking about or talking to kids about these things, there are some, some ways to talk that it feels awkward when you're entering into it. Right, because it's like, oh, we just watched a movie, and and my kids will kind of roll their eyes sometimes at my husband when <laughs> he's like, "Okay, guys, now we need to talk about it." <laughs> but I think that that's part of that training, right? Because when they hear you talk about these things, and even if it's just you talking to someone else, and they overhear that, what that does is instruct the people around you. Oh, this is more than just something to consume. You know, it's something to. To think about. And so I think, you know, there are formal ways I, I mentioned in the book that my husband has had these manly movie nights is what they call them, but he will have a group of guys over to watch something and, and they started out as sort of stereotypically masculine movies and now sometimes it's foreign dramas and things that most of these guys would never ever choose to watch uh and in the beginning it was very awkward to have these conversations afterward because they finished watching a movie and and it's I think weirder for guys anyway to immediately go into a discussion about things and and then to have someone saying oh there's more to this than just you know entertainment But gradually, they started having some really great, deep conversations, um, not only about the film, but then about their own lives and their own longings and desires and ways that they express them. So uh, to anyone who's hearing this or reading the book and thinking, oh, this is just too awkward. It is at first. It is going (laughs) to feel a little bit weird, but I think it's so worth it to just enter into those conversations and really engage well.
1: Yeah, I was actually really encouraged by that story about the Manly Movie Nights in your chapter because I thought, oh, yeah, it would be totally awkward at the beginning, but you just persist and you do get mm-hmm. there. And it sort of also reminded me about some book clubs that I've been in. Mm-hmm. As as you meet together regularly with any group of people, you do form a relationship with them. And having a, a book club or, or a movie club, it's such a great way of deepening relationships with people as you talk about things of hopeful Mm -hmm. significance so yeah i was really encouraged by that idea
2: good well and and sometimes you know those are not even believers that are there totally Um, yeah and and what a great avenue you know for someone who may not come to a bible study but they will come to watch a movie and and it's not a bait and switch you know it's
1: <laughs> yeah
2: this is this is what we do we watch it and then we talk about it and sometimes you know other people have such great insight people who my husband is a pastor's kid too and so our our experience of the world is going to be very different than some of our non-Christian friends or um, some of our Muslim friends. And and so getting their perspective on something is so helpful too, to understand how other people view the world and how their beliefs um, motivate that viewpoint that they have. What were some of the other chapters that you
1: enjoyed in the book?
2: Well, I mean, one of the things that I mentioned that I have a 13-year-old and my daughter. And and so Jen Wilkins' chapter on what we say about beauty is so helpful, not just for me, but as I'm raising a young woman and having those conversations with her and and watching her, you know, grow into herself and, and start to engage what the culture says about beauty and and to struggle with those things as any young teenage girl or 38 year old woman like me does. Um, And so the way that she just draws us back to scripture over and over again in that chapter and what God says about beauty and his hope now, but also the hope that we have in the future and trying to have that eternal perspective as we walk through the day to day. And I think, you know, that applies to every chapter in the book. I had a high school teacher who we would come into his class with just all the drama all the time. And he was known for saying, in light of eternity, what does this matter? Not that it doesn't matter, but let's put it in its proper place. And so in this moment, uh, the chapter about beauty was really helpful to me.
1: I really appreciated that one too. And I liked the one on food. I thought that was just a really helpful, clear little biblical theology of food, really, wasn't it, on the Mm -hmm. way through and how that touches with our culture and, you know, eating disorders and things like that. I really appreciated the careful, thoughtful words of wisdom in the race chapter, Conversations on Race. Mm -hmm. I think I found that one probably a little bit challenging, actually, because Mm -hmm it was outside of my experience, like I am the white girl who needs to keep listening and keep hearing other people's experiences. So I did appreciate sort of sitting with that chapter for a while and I guess it has encouraged me to keep seeking out stories to listen to of other people Mm -hmm. and trying very hard to be aware of implicit bias, which is a really hard thing to be aware of when it's implicit, isn't it? Um, Right. But yeah, I found that chapter really helpful too. Now, what else is big on your radar at the moment when you're not watching movies and critiquing them, <laughs> Catherine?
2: <laughs> oh, watching terrible comedies. You know, coming out of this past year and a half, that's just like so different for all of us. and. My children had been in a public school here. Um, We live in Tennessee and they got about two weeks into the school year doing virtual school. And we just decided to go ahead and homeschool. I was working from home anyway, writing. and, um, And so we've been doing that for the past year and we've homeschooled a couple of other years. So it wasn't completely foreign, but you know, it, it was just such a challenge because you couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And I think there was a lot of isolation that we all felt. And so it's been good to, to kind of come out of that period with a lot more closeness, I think as a family and, and a desire now to spread our wings a little bit. So we're gearing up toward a new school year and putting our children in a new school. This is the first time they'll be in a Christian school. And, and so for me, that the Lord has provided a couple of opportunities for me to actually be in the school with them. So I'll be a teacher's assistant for the first time and I'm coaching a volleyball team. And, and so I will still have the opportunity to write, but I'm really excited about getting to know the students in this school and, you know, coming out of a time when I've been just kind of by myself or with my family for so long, it's it's encouraging to have the opportunity to go out and actually be with people and build those relationships and um, and with some of these high school girls that I'm getting to coach. So, so that's really exciting to me to have more of an embodied ministry. Again, I think sometimes as a writer, we can be a little bit detached <laughs> because we're writing about things, but not always living them or experiencing them. And so I'm excited to just have a different perspective on things now. And do you have a favorite or significant
1: Bible verse that you would like
2: to share with us? In my kind of adult life, one of the most significant passages to me has been Psalm 42. This is the, the, as the deer pants for water Psalm, as it goes down, there's this idea that the psalmist is, um, just distressed and is saying, you know, my soul thirsts for God, my tears have been my food day and night. And people are saying, where is your God? And, and he repeats, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again, praise him, my salvation and my God several years ago my husband and i had a situation in our former church that um, just it became very obvious that we needed to not be there anymore and and even though there were several people who were experiencing the same thing as us it was a very isolating time and you know i think for anyone who has experienced that kind of division within a church and a lot of the time when it involves maybe a lack of integrity by a leader. There can be this really difficult experience of kind of questioning your whole belief system. And if this is how God's people are, can I actually trust God? And and knowing that I'm a broken person, of course, I it's a heavy responsibility to think that someone's faith depends on me Mm -hmm. and my representation of God. But I would stand in church basically unable to even sing and just thought you know when will i be able to worship again and this psalm gave me so much encouragement through that to know a that i was not the first person to to feel this way and b just the way the psalmist says hope in god for i shall again praise him for a while this was all i could read just psalm 42 over and over and over again and i just held on to that hope in god for i shall again praise him and i wanted to praise him in the moment but it was so hard to do so but holding on to that hope that he would bring me to the place where i could again and that he was not casting me out you know because i was struggling with faith and doubt in that moment was such an encouragement and so i you know maybe that's an encouragement to someone else who's listening just to know that he sees and he cares and and that you will again praise him and he'll bring you to that place that
1: hope it's so beautiful when you see the context like the context was one of grief and mm-hmm. a downcast soul it, it wasn't a beautiful sunrise in the morning I'm right. feeling hopeful it was it was the black night and mm-hmm. just that trust that god would God would bring you through. I've been reading Lamentations a lot lately. And so, yeah, what you're saying is so similar to, to Lamentations in, in that theme of just, I guess, lamenting to God and, and complaining to him and mm-hmm. calling out to him and, and questioning him and yet still holding on to that hope that he mm-hmm. is God. Very encouraging. Thank you for sharing that one. What is keeping you standing firm and growing as a Christian at the moment?
2: My husband recently this summer taught a class at our church on spiritual disciplines. One of the things that we talked a lot about was scripture memorization and, you know, growing up in the church, that's something that I did a lot as a kid, but have not made a regular habit. You know, we'll go through spurts or I'll work on a passage with my children, but it hasn't been a daily rhythm for me. And, uh, we had my husband's aunt come through Zoom to talk to our class about scripture memorization because she has committed several books of the Bible to memory. Completed several books. books. Oh yes. my
1: goodness. Um, okay.
2: Many of the pastoral epistles. Um, she's memorized Hebrews, you know, most of Romans, just so much scripture. And the passion with which she spoke about scripture memory was so inspiring and you know one of the things i thought was so neat is she talked about how when she has memorized a book she feels like she owns that book you know she that's her her book and so then when she hears it taught or referred to she has this complete context to understand it and and to understand you know where that that one verse fits in with the whole context of that that book and or that letter and and so just hearing her talk about it and how you know sometimes it takes months and years to to commit a certain passage or book to memory um, she said you know in particular romans is just a really difficult book to memorize but she's a, a chemistry professor at a state university here and it has allowed her to engage with people and and just to have the words of God in your mind and on your tongue at all times and to see the way that that comes out in conversation, you know, just so naturally was really encouraging to me. And so that's something that I'm trying to do a lot more of right now, starting with Philippians and just thought, you know, what would it look like to have this book that I really enjoy um, completely memorized? And even if it takes me years, that's something that I would love to have. I have so many other things memorized, you know, whether it's song lyrics or yep. <laughs> other, this is definitely a more worthy goal than being able to, you know, sing all the Spice Girls songs that i grew up on. So <laughs> All the
1: best with that. I think that sounds like a great endeavor actually to try and memorize Philippians. I actually did try and memorize Philippians, would you believe a while ago? And Or probably about 10 years ago, actually. Okay. Um, it's probably mostly gone. But it is a great (laughs) book, isn't it? My pastor at at a church about 10 years ago arrived at the church and said, you know, Bible memorization is great. If anyone memorizes the whole of Romans, I'll take them out to lunch wherever they want to go. (laughs) Wow. And I was living Um, a plane trip away from my hometown and so I thought right (laughs) I'll memorize Romans and I'll we'll go to Sydney to have lunch (laughs) that's amazing yeah look I got to about chapter two I think two or three it is it is a really long sentences it is a hard book I'm so impressed Mm -hmm.
2: husband's aunt has memorized it
1: but yeah what a blessing
2: as well yeah that's great well I love that you know, to hear that from the pastor, too, just to motivate and encourage his flock yep. to memorize is great. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, we could uh, implement it with our Bible study group or prayer group or something like that. There you go. Uh, Oh, well, look, it's been lovely talking to you, Catherine. Thank you so much for talking about movies and Bible and, yeah, how Jesus is central in your heart. It's really encouraging to hear that.
2: Well, thank you so much, Tori. It's been an honour and best wishes on the podcast and for your listeners who are reading and engaging with this book. I hope
0: it's an encouragement. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.